0: House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres.
1: Welcome back into the House of Mystery. I'm Al Warren. Mr. Joe Goldberg is back in the
2: room. I'm in the room. I'm enjoying all the pollen that's with me right now. Thank you very much. Spring. Well, that's where I my phone this morning saying, "Hey, it's a pie pollen alert." Thank you very much. You don't need to send me an alert. I already know that there's a pie pollen. You're you're always sniffing. I'm a sniffer. You're a sniffer. You can, he's got you the can nose for sniffing. you want, Al. Because you're yeah. I learn from the best. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not touching that.
1: Well, today we'll be talking to um, you know quite a quite a writer. Um, let's just get him in and find out about where he came from and where he's going. So, Mr. Michael Frost Beckner. Thank you for being here.
0: Thank you for having me. This is it's quite a delight. I'm, I'm very excited to be on your show.
1: Well, hopefully you say that afterwards.
0: We we'll, We hope so, yeah. I, <laughs> we, who knows where we're going to go.
1: Let's talk about your history and how you got to where you are now. I mean, making uh, you, you've had books fade into movies, you've got series, you've got all this stuff going on, and we need to talk about how it began.
0: Yeah, I, I went to university and studied writer, writing. I, I took a master's degree as a undergraduate novel writing. I was told by the vaunted USC Film School that although they could take a smart person and make them creative, they couldn't take a creative person and make them smart, which would kind of it. So I went into novel writing, I studied that, and I was fortunate to um, be mentored by T.C. Boyle. Instead of doing my thesis as a book, I petitioned to do the master's thesis. Uh, of a screenplay. And the reason really wasn't that I wanted to be in Hollywood anymore. I was a little ticked off. But the guidelines were, it couldn't be longer than 120 pages, and the margins were really narrow, and I was president of my fraternity, which really just meant I was goofing off. And so that seemed like a real good uh, trick to pull on the faculty. And so I did that. Boyle was a little annoyed with me, but we did a screenplay. and. Shortly after after college, I went into publicity at Walt Disney, um, writing captions. If you remember the old, uh, when we, you know, the press kit would go out with the poster and the still pictures. I was the guy that wrote copyright, you know, whatever year, Walt Disney Productions. And uh came to the attention of Barry Levinson, the director. My next writing job, he gave me a job. I wrote all the... Uh, on Good Morning Vietnam, I was the guy that wrote all the teletype stuff. As the movie goes on, um, we get updates on the war through the teletype, and I wrote all those. Then I was his assistant on, writing assistant on Rain Man, which went into production or pre-production during the strike of 86. Uh, so no one could write on it, uh, who was a Writers Guild member. I wasn't, so he would dictate the rewrite to me all day, and then I'd type it up all night, and turn it in, and he'd get his red pen out, and did it. And that kind of taught me screenwriting. Um, you know, what works, what doesn't work, you know, because I'd have to fill in the blank. He'd just say, okay, it, it's uh, Las Vegas Casino, and then he'd do all the dialogue, and then, you know, I'd have to fill in the blanks. So that, that got me writing, and... My first script, Sniper, was bought by his production company and we made that as a film. So I was launched in 89 and I didn't really look back uh, to the novel writing thing. But I was extremely successful. It was a period after that strike where the studios, a lot of Japanese money had come into the studio system and they bought a bunch of studios They funded a bunch of what they called mini majors. But they all needed product and so I, that became real ripe spec script market, and I was very fortunate, it was Talent Meets Opportunity, and I sold three kind of right in a row over the course of about 18 months that all broke the record for the highest selling script of all time. One of them was Hunchback of Notre Dame, which ended up as an animated musical, uh, <laughs> which I didn't write that, but they used some of my stuff. Another one was Cutthroat Island, which when I sold it, it starred Michael Douglas. When they made it, Gina Davis played that role. Uh, for years, my eldest son would get the Guinness Book of World Records at Christmas and gleefully point out that, Dad, you're still the biggest failure of all time. I think at this point, there's another movie that didn't surpassed it as, as, a, as a box
2: office
0: disaster. But, um, but for a long time, it was uh, the biggest box office disaster of all time. And another one was called Texas Red and Gold, which was a Western, which... Sold to a company called Largo, and they went out of. As a screenwriter, my career was was always in originals, and for many years that was you know what the movies made. Now nowadays they don't really make uh, just original screenplays anymore. You're not going to get the wild Bunch, you know. You're not going to get those. It's you know is it a remake? Is it a cartoon character or a comic book character? Um, is it a cereal box? And so you know marketing's taken over, and and uh, that's how they do it. But anyway. With Spy Game, I was writing pretty high in Hollywood. I had movies in production, and um, I decided I'd go back to the uh, novel rights that I started out as and really had envisioned. My wrote a big fat book. Had another kid on the way. Took it, had taken a year off. Didn't have any money, so I lopped off the ending of the book and wrote it as a screenplay. And uh, that sold uh, to Beacon Pictures. That was it. Was not what I typically did. What I was typically writing and selling were action movies. And this was, you know, the, the movie that you saw is sort of the ending of that book. And it was more cerebral, more character-based. Um, and when I, when I approached it, I kind of went back to what Tom Boyle had taught me or, or kind of pushed me in the direction of He said, you know, your best writing is you like to write about storytellers, about people telling story and who those people are, because it's kind of an interesting approach, but lean into it. And so I did with, with Spide which then, you know, it's mostly Robert Redford in an interrogation room or a conference room kind of being interrogated, and how he's telling the story and what the story's about. And as a screenplay, every studio hated it. They they said it's all flashback. When it's flashback, it's narration. The two main characters never meet. Um, At the time, it was to be Paul Newman and Robert Redford. And then it took a few years to get Beacon to buy it, And at that point, Newman said, you know, I'm really too old to do this, but why don't you have Redford do the role you didn't mention for me, Um, you know, rather than the pretty boy role. And so Redford came on, and then Beacon got Brad Pitt. Um, But they didn't want to pay the gigantic price tag that my scripts usually went for. Um, But they said, we'll stay faithful to your script, um, and you keep all your rights to all the characters, to the book that you wrote. We don't want to buy that. It's all yours. We just want to make this one small film. That happened, and it was a, it was a big hit. It, it went through a lot of iterations, hit some different directors. They hired a, um, a Dutch filmmaker, a guy named Mike Van Diem. He won an Academy Award for Best Short Film, and then he won Best Foreign Film, and he saw himself as Orson Welles, and he rewrote the entire script, um, went in a completely different, bore no resemblance to the movie that, that ended up. That went for two or three years. They, Redford said, this is ridiculous. I, I signed on to the Beckham script. And so Tony Scott came in and said, we're going to go back to your script, make some changes for budget, but that's what we're going to do. And they did that. And so I put all that aside, but it was kind of, I kind of baked that uh, knowing that as a screenwriter, you have a shelf life, uh, um, and, you know, at a certain point, I'm not going to be the flavor of the month or the year or the decade and, and I better have something to fall back, which is what I did, uh, around the time pre-COVID, just before COVID. And I decided to take that back and I felt if I wanted to to dive into, into being a novelist, why not do it with something that I had some IP on? And, uh, so Spy Game, that's how Spy Game and the the books came about. And so I I wrote three books over the course of 18 months, a a trilogy. I've had quite a, quite a bit of, uh, I feel, personal success and critical acclaim for them. As what goes around comes around, Beacon Pictures came back and said, oh boy, these are brilliant and we want to do these and, and reboot it as a streaming service, streaming series. And so we'll see where that goes. But that's kind of the genesis of, of my artistic path.
1: Well, in tough times, did you have to strip or exotic dance?
0: Uh, yes, you, you know, it, it's, a, it's a, the business goes up and down and I went up and down <laughs> grinding on the pole, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, uh, it, it is quite a, uh, it's not a, the Hollywood thing is not anything that, like yeah. big highs, deep lows, you, you gotta manage your money, I didn't, um, expensive divorces, I didn't manage my personal relationships properly either, and, uh, but it's been quite a ride, it's, it's nice, I, I like it now though, I'm, I'm quietly in Las Vegas, I'm writing all the time, I'm, you know, uh. It's much much better and a lot less uh, aggravation. And, and in, you know, in the meantime, I created series, and yeah, I've been on the set for years and worked with everyone. Um, and and that was all quite quite exciting.
1: How does it change you when you deal with Hollywood and that you know to do your 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 book into something like whether they're making a movie or a series? And I know what this is like, especially when they make a movie and they don't really. You know, and you were talking about not following your, your book, just kind of doing their own thing, and that, And I know that feeling. But how does it change you as a writer?
0: Well, it's, it's, there's two ways that it happens. Sometimes they ask you to do that, and, and um, that's what's happening with the adaptations of my three Sky Game The main character who's, who's a minor role in the film, a character named Aiken who the trilogy is about, is called from this point of view, For the series, and the way social politics are these days, they came to me and they said, well, can we make him uh, black? Yeah, we can do that. Can we make him a woman? I suppose. Um, And now, a lot of people, I have a good relationship with the studio that made the film, and so I said, yeah, I'm happy to do that. And so, as it sits getting ready to go forward, there are three scripts for the pilot that they're looking at cast concurrently, um, where one is Aiken as I wrote him uh, in, in the script, a white male, one is a black male, and one is a, a white female. And so I don't mind when they, when they want to change things up from what I originally wrote if, if I have the chance to do that. I think it's a creative challenge. Each of those versions in in that are, are fairly exciting because each one changes the politics and the character inter- interactions, the person. And so for me, it's exciting to rewrite and reconceive something and and see where it takes me. I, I find that just thrilling. Um, the books will always live as the books; they, they stay stay the same. And, and, and you know, I own them. I can keep writing the characters as I have them. But really, with film, and I know this from you know, creating television series and having to cast them and, and, and rewrite them and go with what the network wants and what's, you know, suddenly, you know, an actor isn't working and you've created a whole season that has to go on, go forward, but you got to lose that actor and create a new character. I get how it works, and it's just, it, it's a different beast and a different form of entertainment. For me, the, the film thing is really about the team effort and everyone putting in their creative goal. In, into this thing, and, and that's where the treasure comes from. For writing, for me, it's really about the words and the language. The, so, so my writing and my, my novel writing, my prose fiction and my film work, don't really match in that. My prose fiction is much more about prose and, um, and character development and psychology. And, you know, what, what I write for television and film is always about action and activity and plot, and uh, with Spy Game, uh, after it was sold, and they came and they said, "Hey, we got this director. It's hot. He wants to change it. You, you willing to, to step aside and, and and let him run with it?" Um, yeah, it kind of hurt my feelings. Uh, I hadn't published the books yet, and he changed it drastically. I mean, he might as well have changed the names of the characters because it really bore no resemblance. When you sit on that, you go, "Oh shoot, they're going to make it. It's going to have my name on it." I hate it. Good at knowing what'll work and what won't work in Hollywood after thirty years, and at that time, after maybe fifteen, that was that was hard. That was devastating. It was it was great to get a call from Tony Scott saying, "No, no, no." But you know, certain certain adaptations, you've got to make the changes, and you got to go with it. And and I don't mind. I I'll, I'll see a lot of films where I've read the book, and and they make some big changes. For instance, the um, Nick Aaron's slow worst. The second season, I thought, was tr- terrific. They deviated quite a bit from the book, but yep. he was involved, and I think the way they went improved on what he'd done. Um, I think the the changes they made to it, especially with the ending and how that fit together, fit together much more eloquently in the in the um, television series. And and um, I don't know what he he said about it. I, I don't know, but. I think that was an improvement. Um, and, and so you, you never know, but it's, it's you have to separate. It's two different forms of entertainment. One is, is, you know, for the consumer, one is all in their head, and, you know, they're using their imagination to film it, and you're trying to give them the cues that you give through writing. And the other one's all visual and oral. I mean, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's two different parts of the brain that you're entertaining. So... I, I try not to worry about that too much, and just know how to separate them and what I want to
2: achieve. With well, how do you know that? How, how, as a writer, you'd go from sort of short form, one hundred and twenty-page sort of outline of a major movie versus three hundred plus pages of a prose novel, where you get the the ability to put all that that stuff in. How how does that change you as you write?
0: Well, in in a screenplay, you know, I, I have you know, six lines to paint the picture, but I know that the director and the production designer, um, all the way down to the original uh, location scouts, they're going to do it a lot better than the cues I give them. So I just give them cues. I give them cues on that. My dialogue always pretty much stays the same, but a lot of, in, in what I delve into in fiction is, people don't say what they actually think and what they mean, and especially in writing espionage, that's, that's, Clear, um, you can't really delve into that in, in screenwriting. You have to let the actor and the nuance of how he's going to or she are going to use ex- their expressions, use their body language, and use that. And you have to rely on that. Um, I know better in, in television, where my job in TV, the writer. If I write a good script, they take it and run, and, and they don't, you know, they don't need you on the set. It's not really your business in television where I spent half my career and and still continue, Uh, the writer is in charge. So I hire all the directors, I hire all the cast. And so that's why a TV script is, is, you know, 45 to 55 pages, and and you can get as much nowadays, television is is outperforming film. But that's because the writer is able to, okay, I shorthanded it here, but I, I know what I want. Now, when I sit down to write something as a book, all that stuff that they're doing that, that the set is doing, that the light is doing, that's motivating them, and, and, and the actors are finding their motivation whatever way actors do that. Um, that's my job in a book to convey that. So it's... And th- the other thing with me and, and my writing is I'm, I'm not writing uh, so much plot-driven stuff. I, I really do lean back to what Tom Boyle had, had taught me, um, is to is to lean into... Why I write stories about people telling stories. It's usually an interrogation or a confession or a, a, a long letter. And it's why are they writing what they're writing and what words they're choosing. So when I'm when I'm writing prose fiction, I am obsessed with, with with word form, sentence structure, and all that. It's it's probably not um, popular uh, fiction that way, um, and more literary and. and Will only, time will only tell if I have the chops to be a literary writer and, and, and succeed. I guess I am already, but to actually succeed in and But that's more what I'm interested in. So, you know, what had been half a book when I took Mirror's Gambit, which was half of what Spy Game the movie was, that was the other half, and then suddenly the half that book's gone, I made it into a movie. What was I going to do to expand it? And that's where I came with the character in the film, who's a minor, minor, he had less lines on screen than he actually had in the script. Um, I decided, well, let's get into his head and tell the story of sort of how we get to that movie through his point of view. And, and so that opened it up and allowed it to, to expand from maybe 200 pages to, to about 400, a little less than 400 pages, um, because I really like to delve into character.
1: Where do you draw from? Um, to be able to write about um, Cold War, espionage, spy, all that sort of thriller kind of stuff. Where do you draw from?
0: Well, you know, it's kind of interesting. Um, growing up, I had, you, you know, they tell you, write what you know, and you, you get the writing courses and stuff, and you, I kind know. You write about, if you're in college, you write about your college, high school hygiene. I don't know what you write. But, you know, when you take that a little bit differently, what do you know? Well, I know the people that I, I, I knew as as a kid growing up and, and then as a young adult. And there were always people within the larger circle of my family that had been in, engaged in intelligence. <laughs> I was told not to talk about one, but I can talk about the other. Um, my grandfather, my dad's father, my dad was a professional athlete. He had nothing to do. Um, my grandfather was... I think he ended his career as head of narcotics for the state of California. But he was undercover most of his life. And there were always interesting people at the house at politics. And I'm, uh, <laughs> you won't know that from this because I'm talking all the time, but I'm a pretty good listener. And as a little kid, I'd listen to these people in the back kitchen, the back porch off the kitchen where the uh, bar was. And uh, I'd listen to these older men talking about stuff that, I pieced together as I got older were intelligence, were we're about intelligence and and, and that sort of thing. Um, My brother got me interested in Cold War and and all of that. Um, He ended up, young age, he moved to Washington and then um, in the private sector, uh, was involved in in electronic warfare uh, uh, in Europe. Uh, anti-submarine warfare, and so there was a lot of that kind of, those books around and that sort of thing. But anyway, I, you know, like I, I mentioned, I started writing in, in Hollywood. I started writing, you know, action comedies. And, you know, if you've ever seen A Die Hard or a, a Lethal Weapon, you know, some of my gunplay in those. I, I was always sent, here, rewrite this. It needs to be more, um, you know, there needs to be more action in it. And I'd always say more action. You got plenty of action. Your characters are rather stupid, but um, but anyway, I did that. But I realized, you know, when I when I sat down to do do Spy Game, I realized when I got to write what you know, I kind of knew a lot about intelligence. I knew a lot about what these people were like um, from meeting them, and and later on, as people in my family got married, there would be other characters who just happened to be in in that business. I was always good at drawing people out, not really about what well, what was the mission, but what was it like and, and what you know and and so spy game developed out of a you know it's not James Bond; these people are sometimes damaged, um usually heroic, um have a good sense of patriotism, maybe blunted by things that they've seen and and so I started writing those kinds of things. I thought around that time, I had some chance encounters with people that turned out to be retired from the CIA or having worked with them. people You meet someone on an airplane that happened to sit next to you or you're at a bar. And um, I started to gather these people around me. And as a young man, I thought I was very clever and very lucky um, because it got me invited to Langley um, to tour it, to meet some other people. And i oh, very fascinated with Hollywood. What, what, what are you writing? What do you plan to write? Here are some tips. Here, we'll give you this and that. And which um, ended up pushing me towards creating the series The Agency, which um, I, I sold that to CBS in April of 2000. And we made it in, about a year later. And the pilot was Al-Qaeda, Terraplot, um, you know, taking down some big buildings against the West. And we filmed it. I, I said it in London, although it was, the series idea was there's going to be a war on terror and the CIA has to develop this, this sort of new way to, to approach that. Because September 11th happened, we pulled the pilot, showed it later in the year, uh, we did another episode. And I thought I was yeah that was pressing them you know, coming up with that sort of thing. And, and I had at that point some retired CIA who who were advising the series and had I'd bounced ideas off of them. And three or four times in the course of that first year, of 2001, storylines that, that I developed and aired as episodes happened after the episodes aired. So the show was quite a success. People thought it was great. I was on TV quite a bit um, as some kind of, uh, how, how are you able to do that? I And I thought at the time, God, I'm just, I'm a genius. Um, I look back now, you uh, you know, quarter of a century later, I was sort of groomed into that. I I was fed sort of, here's a good example. There was an episode where we wanted to use a Predator drone doing surveillance. And, and someone from Langley had called and said, you know, here's a good idea. Why don't you put a Hellfire missile on it? I go, well, can you do that? They go, no, you, you, you can't do that this is TV. This is great. And so we did an episode of a conflict conflict getting ready to brew between India and Pakistan. And the way to defuse it was they used the Predator drone with the Hellfire missile and killed the Pakistani terrorist general. And wasn't that great uh, inventive drama? And then two weeks later, oh, Predator drones can be equipped with Hellfire missiles and they killed the Pakistani uh, terrorist. And that's when I kind of thought, oh, shoot, they're, they're kind of using me to test things out. You know, we have high ratings for that. public They let us film at Langley. Our premiere was supposed to be in the um, in the Dome at Langley uh, in September of 2001, and, and I have friend on my wall the invitation from George Tennant and CBS saying, please RSVP by September 11th. So I, I find that slightly ironic. Um, we didn't have that premiere. But anyway, so I collected that, but... Jumping back, the strangest thing really is the character of Nathan Muir, who Redford plays in the film, really developed from there was a PE coach I had in junior high. He was a Vietnam veteran. This is in the, I guess, the early mid 70s. And he ran backpacking. Backpacking was big. And we did a lot of outdoor stuff, and he ran backpacking trips. And We'd go every summer and do, two t- it's a group of, of young men, and it would be him and some of his veteran friends. And, um, and we'd go up and do, you know, portions of the John Muir Trail. In the, in the spring, we'd do some of the, uh, what is it, the Pacific Crest Trail, which is, I grew up in, in the San Fernando Valley, and that's the one that cuts through California all the way, I suppose, up to Canada. Uh, and he would, you know, there's no radio, no phone, no, you can't really get, you got nothing but the campfire, And I was mesmerized, and I think all the young men and some young women on those trips were mesmerized by the stories these guys would would tell around the campfire. Things that happened in Vietnam and and, and that sort of thing. Years later, and and anyway, his patriotism, his, his calm, his kind of sardonic wit, very funny but very dry humorous. And he had a way of mesmerizing you with the story. And when I created Nathan Muir's character, I created it from him. And some of the backstory, was some of the stories that, that he told. And then I ran into him many years later while I was working on the books. And uh, he, he asked me, he said, well, spider is one of my favorite movies. And I said, well, Dan, um, it was based on you. I mean, it was based on him and a few of these other people that I'd met through uh, in my youth um, I said, well, do kind of, you, you must have seen yourself in it, and he kind of gave me a look, he goes, how would you possibly know that, and I said, what do you mean, he said, I, I said, you were, you know, in the army, and he, was, he goes, I was in Laos, I worked for the CIA, I was, those stories I told you were very sanitized versions of what we were doing in, in Laos, and, um, and anyway, it, it turned out, I, I guess I, I'd broken his cover without, without knowing it, just intuitively thought it. And so he, he developed a lot. The, the new book I'm writing, which, if you take my three most recent books, the Aiken Trilogy, the Spy game Story, I'm now going to the Mirror Trilogy. I go back, and as these books and as the film did, they have the present day story, but they also, that story ripples back and, and, and the and ripples forward, I suppose, back to an earlier time, and, um, so he and I have been speaking, uh, recently, he worked on, uh, Operation Popeye, which was a weather, um, you know, trying to control the weather in, in um, uh, over North Vietnam and, and, and Southeast Asia, to, so that they couldn't get a rice production, and, um, so that's kind of interesting, and that's sort of the underlying story of, of what takes place in the past, what takes place in the nineties. The it was rather interesting realizing that, that weather being, you know, and climate uh, being a kind of a hot topic, it, it seems to resonate my agent and and uh, and people that I I pitched it to. So I'm looking forward to to really cracking a nut on that.
2: When you write, you, know, you you've been prescient and gotten some, you know, you, you've hit the mark on things that did it, that eventually occur. But as you're writing, are you thinking about a greater theme or idea, or things you want people to get out of it when you're doing your tell a story about a to- storyteller structure?
0: Yeah, that, that I write my prose writing, film writing, I don't really have room for that. But in in writing prose fiction, that's I, I write all theme. I I, I probably lack a little bit in plot. So with the first book of the Spy Game trilogy that's out now. Muir's Gambit, um, that really examines, you know, two individuals, one the Nathan Muir character, one the CIA attorney who's there to pretty much interrogate and get a confession out of him and and lock up all his secrets. And it's the idea of these people are sanctioned to lie. They're sanctioned to lie and to get other people to commit treason for their against their company. Heroes to us, but Clearly, they're, they're traders to their own countries. And, what, and, and that book really delves into what it is to live a life of lies, where you're everything to everyone, but very little, almost nothing to yourself. You're, you're Whatever the person you're trying to recruit, the, the operation you're running, whatever you think that they want you to be, you, you, you feed that to them. One, one guy once told me, he said, what we do when we recruit someone is we offer them whatever their Disneyland is. And we give it to them, and we are that person, and we're their Mickey Mouse. So that book, the theme of that really is is lives sanctioned, lives of lives that are sanctioned, what that does really to your soul. And, and you, know, you think it might be a great free pass that you can lie all the time about everything, and it's not only allowed, it's, it's encouraged. Um, I think that, and, and, and this goes back to people that I've known, I think that takes a toll on the psyche. And um, I think we in, instinctively, um, philosophically, I think we actually, as humans, don't really like to lie. Don't, uh, it doesn't serve us very well. It's, it has its moral and social detractions, um, and it's damaging. And it's damaging to yourself. And so, so that book is about sanctioned lying and what it does to, to the human soul. Uh, in the second book, I, I pinned that down, so that's pinned down in the first book. In Bishop's Endgame, we look at, okay, the guy who's the sanctioned liar is living a false reality, and he's presenting his identity as something false, and that's your workaday identity. What, is, what impact on the person, then, is a the life of false identity? And it gets into, you know, we always hear appearance versus reality, But in the nature of of the spy game, appearance is reality, because it's the reality you're living. And it it, it dictates how reality works around you. And so the concept of a life of lies and false identity kind of really collide in Bishop's Endgame. And now it's sort of, well, who am I if if 90% of the time I'm presenting myself as someone? What is my identity? Is it some little tiny thing inside me that I don't show anyone? How can that possibly be an identity? And so it's the struggle of the characters to really sort of figure out and and embrace or deny their own true identities when they're living in a world of false identities. In the third book, I take those two things and crunch them together and, and look at how that impacts the exchange of information. Espionage is great for that because espionage, is all about information. It's about getting information, interpreting it, analyzing it, passing it on. But you look at the people, when you look at information physics, um, the person, once someone touches information, their perspective and who they are impacts that information. That story then becomes how how do these damage people in a sense. Their pursuit of information, what they're choosing to pursue, what they're choosing to share, how they're sharing it, how does that impact the exchange of information itself, and impact the information? And so then the third book goes into that versus the electronic fishing for uh, information and, and how electronic information gathering, and, and how those two things collide. You know, information physics, information is sort of the building block of quantum physics. You, you have nothing without information. So then that book goes, and it's it's that book... Uh, where the others may read a little, little more like normal spy books. But it gets into the absurdity of that and of the twisting of reality through how information is manipulated. So, yeah, I, I write, that's what interests me because of my movie training, I guess, and TV training. I'm really good at putting a, a ripping story across that, but I'm more interested in, in studying those, the nature of people in those. In those
1: how do you develop your characters? how do you um, create and, and work out like one of your main characters That's
0: a good question well they all first evolve from a mishmash of numerous people that I've known or interviewed or who have been presented to me as you, you need to talk to this and I'll take because you're writing drama and, and and it had you know it's larger than life and no matter what so I take larger than I take a lot of things from a lot of people and french them down and into individual characters. The other thing I do is I spend a lot of time in the worlds that those characters inhabit, So, which is is always great because a lot of my stuff, I learned early in Hollywood, don't write stories that take place in Los Angeles because they'll send you to Los Angeles and you already live there. Write stories that take place in far off places and you get a lot of great trips out of it. So I do a lot of travel and meet people and, and, you know, try to absorb habits, uh, in the habits that they have, how the, they see their place in their own worlds. And, and, I, and then I take all that and kind of put it onto these character composites that I have. You know, when I talk to people, I talk about not necessarily tell me the great story you had, but tell me the dream you had that didn't come true. Tell me the, the ambition you had that was foiled, or the one that you got or the thing that surprised you. And I try and take those things and then try and see, I, I need to build up in my characters when I create them. And this is way before I I spend a lot of time, uh, well, this is, is uh, probably not, not, not great anymore, but I spend a lot of time smoking and drinking. I smoke a pipe, um, no cigarettes. Uh, and, and really just letting these people come to life as if they're real people inside my head so that I could write really anything. I don't really worry about the story. Once the characters come into contact with each other, and they all have specific jobs, I'm writing espionage, so everyone has a job, and, and I, I know kind of the broad strokes of what the mission or operation might be, but as they impact each other, it's kind of like fool balls hitting each other, and, and I let that create my story for me, and, and let the intersection of, of these lives that are just lives, you know, strapped down to specific jobs, what those the crash of those pool balls? What that creates, and that's usually where my story goes. Then, when I'm done with that, I I go back and and then try and take out all the extraneous stuff that really doesn't uh, that may be real in real life, but really doesn't mean anything.
1: Are Are you concerned about writing, or are you conscious? I guess I should say about how you write violence and sex on the page now.
0: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I've always been that way. You know, I, I've written some. You know, violent stuff in scripts. You know, here's an interesting thing. I actually had a good learning experience in that in the screenplay for Sniper, which is the Tom Berenger, Billy Zane film, Morning Snipers of Panama, there's a torture scene. And um, the torturer it ultimately takes the trigger finger from the American sniper play by. To sell the script, I needed to write that scene to make everyone reading that script squirm. And that scene went on for a full page, which is just description of the scene and they shot it and probably 15 seconds of that because a page of script is a minute of film it's absolutely unwatchable absolutely the most horrible terrifying thing even though I know it was on the set it's not real just the ideas that were that, that it generates in an audience and in watching it it's like this this doesn't work at all I, I learned the thing that the script you know you got to write it out in a script but when you film it you only need 30 seconds of, um, maybe less, I think it's maybe like 20 seconds of film. Well, what, going for that with prose, the imagination carries a whole lot more weight. I just need to give the cues to the reader for the, to let their imagination fill in the blanks. I, I don't think counting gunshots and bullets and, and um, how the blood splatters, I don't, I don't think people need to read that so much. The imagination is always going to be much more graphic than, than what you can write. Um, and it becomes gratuitous writing, I think. With sex, it it's more interesting. In my second book, in Bishop's Endgame, there's a one of the main characters is a um, is a Malaysian woman, young woman, that B- Bishop, who was played by Brad Pitt in the film, kidnaps. He 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 take, he doesn't press her, she's she's run afoul of his operation, there's certainly a mystery to it. And the first scene he's in her um home and he sees her undressing. Now there's like a hundred ways to write that. None of them really play anymore today. And, and so I was confronted with, you know, it's not the world of John D. McDonald anymore. You can't really write that stuff. And so I have to write the scene. I need the scene. He needs to see her undressing. But, boy, my editor, she said, you know, this is, you know, in today's market, this reads as a rape. Well, then you know what? Rather than write, write the scene, why don't I... Write it more like he's consciously realizing that it might come off as a visual um, visual rape. I think there's a lot more in writing thrillers, in writing action, um, women need to be better served. And I think they are being better served nowadays than the objectifying and, uh, that was done, you know, way back when. It, it's, it's, it's moving towards a better place, I, I think, with that. And, and so I don't go really into the details. I don't think anyone needs it. Now, that's not to right. say I don't love the old, old Travis McGee books or the James Bond novels where, where you have a whole lot of that and, and um, they still have, have a place and they're of their own time period. But I am conscious of the audience today. They, I don't think
1: they want or Are you writing, do you think, a little bit differently too with sensitivity on, on the language, the, uh, um, the way people talk to each other? Because when you're in crime and espionage and all this stuff, like you were saying with James Bond and stuff, things were pretty... It's been pretty raw. It can be, you know, their dialogue. Um, I
0: don't edit my dialogue that much for that. If people talk that way, that's the way they talk. It's really what you write around it and how you present it, um, acknowledge it, uh, dismiss it. There's there's ways around it within the non-dialogue part of the writing of the, of the fiction that you can sort of um, not excuse it, but flag it. You can flag it that way. You know, there was a thing, the editor, I got in, a, in an argument over the use of the word Eskimo. I'm like, mm. are you serious? <laughs> I can't write Eskimo? It's not like I'm writing Eskimo. I, you know, it's it's uh, there is a there is a group of indigenous people in Alaska who actually call themselves Eskimos, so my characters are referring to that. You know, I, I'm not going to worry too much about that. I, I, I don't think, um, I do think editors and publishers are very aware of it, but I self-publish, so... I don't think audiences are as um, uh, sensitive as I think editors and publishers.
1: What do you want people to get out of your book when they take it home and read it? That's
0: a great question. Um, Well, I want them to. I I I think I want them to have the experience and the enjoyment of a good suspenseful read. I want them to think more about humanity. The, The books are really about what it is to be a person, and to see that through the lens of. Characters in, involved in espionage and suspense. But my books speak more to, oh, that was a great roller coaster. They're more towards um, an emotional experience. I want them to have an emotional experience with the characters and, 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 um, and with the language. I, 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 I really find that, that language can, can create feelings in people you know, that go beyond um, instances instances of, oh, that was, was nifty, but to make you feel something a little bit more and maybe peek around the corners of what it is to be human and, and, and the challenges we all face, it's, uh, that, that's, more, that's what I write towards. I, I, I write more towards humanity and, and I write towards morality um, and um, where it has its place and, and how that place is, is skewed um, within the world of espionage. And, and how you, you have to sort of be doubly um, cognizant of it, or it will get away from you. And, and sometimes it does, and sometimes it does, and maybe you have to be cognizant of that as well.
1: Are you big on uh, social media? Do you, do, you, do you look at reviews and, and get into that at all, or do you, like, do, do you avoid that?
2: No, I, 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 have, I have a very thick
0: skin coming from Hollywood. Um, you know, you release a movie and you get, God, you get like, Five hundred reviews all at once, and some can be scathing, scathing, awful reviews, and some, are, some are okay. Um, I've been lucky so far; I've not really had any bad reviews. People genuinely like my books. The, um, uh, you know, they're, they're they're quite well liked, and 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 the, the most gratifying has been from former um, intelligence officers, CIA officers, um, who have really been struck that I I've captured. What it is to be a spy um, that matches what they feel it was to be a spy and, and or is to be a spy. I've had some very very nice personal notices from that um, uh, that I've captured the way they felt and, and they themselves have never written down, but it it read like what I felt. So I, I like that quite a bit. Um, the, uh, the, thing, the 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 books are rather. I mean, they I do get into the absurdity, so I do like to entertain take people. I'm, actually it haven't been very funny today but I've actually I, I started writing comedy. so the books have have a, a good uh, a good amount of dark dry humor to them um, I try to not take anything too seriously I, I find um, that that gallows humor is is actually uh, pretty healthy and so there's a lot of that in there um, but yeah I, I like reading stuff I like to engage with, with the audience Um and uh, on social media, you know, that's something, you know, in my career, you never could really do um, with film, because there wasn't, when I was really actively writing, you know, I don't know, you know, 20 scripts a year, there was no social media. You can't really interact with people. Um, but nowadays, yeah, people write me on Facebook and I, I like to talk about it. And and um, the other thing I did learn in Hollywood is, is how healthy criticism is and you know, unless it's, what's the word? Unless it's trolling, actually, criticism is helpful. Maybe you can't help the book that was published. It certainly can help you moving on. And you find, in Hollywood, you spend a lot of time getting what they call notes from development executives. And they'll read your script, and then they'll tell you every little thing that's wrong, every line they did, what doesn't work, and, you know, launch you on a, a torturous rewrite. Most people hate that. I learned to really, and I worked a long time... I was mentored by Sidney Pollock and I worked with him uh, closely side-by-side for uh, maybe eight years, six six constant years, and then, then as his health failed uh, the last few years, maybe not, not as, as closely. But he really taught me that you've got to listen to him, because usually the note and the criticism is wrong, but what they're reacting to is something didn't work. And you've got to take that as a puzzle and decipher, actually, what was the thing that's not working with what you're doing, Um, Because everyone wants to like what they read. They want to like the movie they see. They want to like the book they read. Um, And so they say, I I didn't like it because of this. That may not be the reason they didn't like it, but there is a reason. And so criticism, I think, is really helpful and healthy because it allows you to to unpack it. How did I miss that? What am I not doing that they missed? They may be wrong. They may be right as well. Sometimes people point these out and go, oh, God, why didn't I do that? They're absolutely right. Other times it's like, they're right, because something did distress them about this, but it's my job to figure that out so I become a better writer uh, in the future. And and so you know, so negative, negative reviews actually are, are a tool. They're, they're just as good a tool, as long as they're not just vicious, you know, nonsense. So you get those too, and those are entertaining.
1: Right. We'll try and get you some more here. So how do people how do people find you? How do they get a hold of you? Like, what's your website and uh, contact information? That my my
0: website is michaelfrostbeckner.com. dot um, I'm really easy to find on Facebook. Um, I think it's also Michael Frost Beckner at Facebook. Um, Twitter, I'm Michael F Pechner. and Instagram it's also my full name. Um, I'm I'm. I'm on those some days more than I should be, I, and I don't write. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I'm I'm always touching base, and, and I and I do like to uh, engage with people, and even people that hate my stuff, I, I enjoy engaging with them as well. They're, they got they got it right. Um, so yeah, yeah. yeah, anyone who wants to reach out to me, I'm I'm uh, happy to talk. With them. Well, fantastic. I don't take scripts of this stuff. No, no yeah, but, but, I don't but, have anyone to give them to.
1: No, send your scripts oh. to, uh, to Joe,
0: actually. <laughs> send yeah, them yeah. to Joe, absolutely. But we appreciate
1: Terrible. you being on the show. Uh, Mr. Michael frost Bettner. thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Alan. That was really quite a pleasure. I, I, I appreciate the time. Thank you. You've been listening to the House
2: of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com